I was lonely. My husband had died four years and I was living by myself and I was very frightened. I was living up in Artean and I was very frightened. And I was watching this place being built. So when the four when it was finished, I was in before it was finished. And I come in one day and I got a very nice room to myself. My wife died in 1966. My daughter, my two daughters were married then, one living in Cork, the other in London. So it's, uh, it was, uh, I had the option of going to live in London or Cork. But my, most of my interests were in Dublin. I decided to stay here. I had a, a long and varied career. I taught in the west of Ireland in a large rural school. And uh, little by little, they, they started transplanting the people up to the rich lands of Meath. And uh, the school simply had to fold up in the end. And uh, I had to follow suit and to take a job in Dublin. But it suited at the time, because the, the family were growing up, you see, and they were wanted them to go to university and so on. And then uh, when my wife died, little by little, I drifted in here. My husband died about 10 years ago when I stayed a long time on my own and I got very lonely and apart from that I was tormented with, well, like, well we call them hooligans, coming down and breaking in at the back and it worried me. Oh, it took me ages to try and make up my mind but I had no option only and I wouldn't be an intruder on my sisters, you see. Well, they wanted me to go, they were all married, they wanted me to go and live with them but I wouldn't be an intruder, so I said, I'll go my own way. Then I came in when my wife died, and I was living on my own then, and um, there was a nun from Mount Dry Street Convent used to come in to see me, and she advised me to come in to Nazareth's house. My sisters are very good. They're awfully kind, you know, and you have all the amenities you want in here. As I tell you, it's the next best thing to your own home. But of course, there's nothing like your own home. Sure, I know myself. I'm very thankful to God that I am so well. That's all. I've travelled every country. I've travelled in my mind. It seems we're on a journey. For the elderly person who can't go on living at home or with relatives for one reason or another and needs special accommodation of some kind, there's quite a variety available, at least in theory, because the demand is great and the waiting lists are long. In the public sector, there are health board welfare homes and in the private sector, there are homes for people who simply want guesthouse-style accommodation. Some private homes are run by charitable bodies, usually religious, Others are profit-making. But why are so many elderly people who are reasonably healthy and mobile seeking admission to these homes? We asked Dr John Fleetwood, 
chairman of the Dunlera Old Folks Association, for an answer. Well, I think that there's a, a number of factors operating here. Uh, you have to think of the old person, first of all, living with a family. Secondly, the old person living in some sort of community, but a community which is not specifically for the aged, in digs, in other words. Or the person who is living alone and has lived very much alone, say in a self-contained apartment or house. And these all have different problems, though there are, of course, interrelationships. Now, a person who is living with a family, let's face it, family life isn't always birds in the nest all agreeing. Sometimes the birds in the nest get pretty uh, tough with each other. And you may find that the old person or the young is difficult to live with, that there are generation gaps, generation clashes. Maybe there's a new baby on the way, which means that Granny's room is now becoming almost a necessity. Worst of all, if Granny has to double up, say, with a teenage granddaughter who has her own legitimate interests, just as Granny has, but they're not the same interest, and there's a clash. And then the parents, the middle-aged people, they find themselves torn between loyalty to a parent and loyalty to a child. And, well, it's easier to get the old person to move. Then the old person who is living, say, in a small hotel, in an apartment or something like that, in some sort of a community, begins to find that they can't keep up with the rest of the herd and they drop further and further behind and they're not happy and there's a lot of noise going on and there's modern music and modern approach to life and so they may want to come into a place which is geared for them and then finally the person who's living alone one of the big factors nowadays with the person living alone wanting to come into some sort of an institution, using the word in the broadest sense, is security. They're afraid of vandalism, they're afraid of being broken into, they're afraid maybe of falling and being left on the floor for days on end in pain. Uh, I've broken into a house with the guards to find a woman dead on the floor, to find a woman with a broken leg on the floor, to find an elderly couple gassed. And this is all in the back of old people's minds. But it's a terrible thing to think that not alone from these, if you like, reasonable accidents which could happen to anybody, that old people are being subjected to vandalism. We have known of fireworks being pushed through old people's letterboxes, windows being smashed, uh, trip wires put across a door and things like this, uh, which I think doesn't say very much for our standards of humanity. Not just here in Dublin, of course, and that's not what I'm talking about, but colleagues in other parts of the world have told me the same thing. But notably in the Far East, I've never heard them say this at all, where old age is honoured there, where you would no more think of tripping up your granny than you would think of pushing her down the stairs and killing her. I got a chain put on the door and I always had to say a prayer when a knocker come to the door afraid I'd get a blow in the head from a bar, an iron bar. 
and a few times I forgot to put, I forgot to lock the door, thought it was shut when it wasn't shut and was blown in during the night. And then I think someone came in and was scared and went and there was someone trying to get in. And I was, I was twice invaded. The back windows were put in, broken with, with stones from vandals. And I happened to be out at the time and came in and got the stones on the floor and the windows broke. And the man next door came and put screws through the windows so that they couldn't open them. And just he put the chain on the door for me. And my husband wasn't a week dead when someone put a small child in through a pantry window and searched the whole house and everything was on the floor when I came down, mass cards and telegrams and everything. He wasn't a fortnight dead when someone came in through the back window of the place. But from that I was always I was always afraid. Doctor, are people living longer now than they did say thirty or forty years ago? Uh Probably the individuals are not living longer, but more people are surviving. Now, that sounds a bit pedantic, but you're not getting people dying from infectious diseases in their 30s and 40s. You're getting a lot of children surviving with congenital illnesses who would otherwise have died off. And it's no longer the survival of the fittest. It's the survival, in some cases, of the unfittest. The actual expectation of life hasn't increased all that much for the bulk of the population. But for the individual, his chances of survival are better. Um, also in old age, for example, pneumonia, we used to call that the old man's friend. It swept him off quietly, relatively painlessly. Nowadays, you have the terrific ethical problem. This man who is a very fragile person, he gets a pneumonia, does he really want to stay alive? Would it be more merciful to let him die? Well, of course, you always make the effort and you salvage him, maybe for another six months, maybe another year, and then he gets a stroke. And again, with modern treatment, he's going to survive that stroke, where even ten years ago he might have faded out completely. Uh, what is one of the more distressing factors of old age, Doctor? Um, I think if I could sum it up in one word, it's loneliness. Uh, as you grow older, your friends die off. It's very hard to make new friends. Even inanimate things change. The church you used to worship in is knocked down. The pub you used to drink in becomes a cocktail lounge. The animals you used to see in the fields across the road have disappeared because now there's concrete blocks there. And indeed, in Dunleary Old Folks Association, our gimmick, if you like, is the lonely lady. This is what we have built a lot of the work of the association around. And again, you notice I'm saying the lonely lady. Not so much the men, though men, of course, can be lonely too, but they do have slightly better outlets. After all, you can spin out a point for many a long hour. A man can go down to the bookies and even be talking to people, even if it's again the law. He can stand even in the street talking to people, whereas a lady can't or won't. But loneliness, I think, is one of the things that really hits people. And it's a loneliness 
not so much aloneness. Now, you meet people who are alone, but they're not lonely. They listen to the radio, they watch the television, they read. But you can be lonely in the middle of a crowd, in the middle of a very well-run old folks' home. Maybe the people around jar on you a little. You nobody that you're, you can relate to, that you're on the same wavelength with. I found the loneliness far worse than any other hardship I could meet because in the locality where I lived, there was only three houses together at the corner of Upper Mayor Street. And round about me, I was there over 50 years, was there with people that was my own age and had got nearly as old as myself in that time. And they were all more or less confined to their houses and uh, with arthritis and pains and different things. And they didn't need to pass by my corner at all. They went across to the north wall to go uptown. So there's no one ever even passed the door. Some days I saw no one all day. And how you used to pass the time in your house, nobody to speak to? Well, I was very artistic. And I used to do a lot of crochet, and I used to do a lot of... Uh, now, I'd take a big picture out of a journal, and it might be a lovely big field, and I might have a picture of two of my own relations taken in a field where there were horses, perhaps, and I'd insert that postcard I get into that scene with all other horses and grass round into a bigger picture for my own amusement. I also used to make necklaces from the silver paper off of cigarettes, roll them up and make bead stones out of them and thread thread, lace, thread beads and different bits of things. I never was idle. I always liked titivating and decorating, made cushion covers and different things like that while I had my sight. But when my sight went then I could neither read nor do any of this work at all and it was very monotonous. I'd just sit there all day sometimes to say my prayers. <laughs> so you got tired of all that? Tired of all that. I was very... I think loneliness is one of the worst things that anyone can suffer from. Do you think a lot of old people suffer from loneliness? Oh, a lot of old people. So, oh, they do. A lot of old people suffer from loneliness. Should they get senile from loneliness? They get senile from it. And even they get that they can't keep a dog or a cat. They, that is a bit of company, it's something moving. But they're not able to look after it. They're not, a dog must be taken out and exercised. And it, may, it gives you a bit more cleaning to do because the hair is on cushions and things. And You have more work to do if you keep an animal. So you have nothing at all, only your own lone self. Well, tell me, Mrs. Brown, what is life like now in here in this lovely home? Well, I'm very happy in it because there's a nice crowd of people in it very respectable, nice crowd of people, and everything is spotless, and Miss Lawler makes us everyone's happy as she can. She shows no favoritism to anyone, everyone's treated alike, and we can lie down on the bed if we're not well, as long as we go down to our meals. The staff, you see, the union they're in, they're not allowed to do any nursing in it, you see. They can't attend on anyone sick or not well. And if we're not, if we're sick, the doctor's got, and if it's necessary, we're sent to hospital, either to Blanchardstown or St Mary's. I went out for my birthday on Friday and didn't come back till Monday evening. You can stay out. And what age were you on that birthday? Eighty-nine, last Saturday. And my niece took me out on Friday, and she left me back Monday evening. Good morning, please, that we 
Do you ever have any fun here now? Oh, yes. Oh, we have plenty. We do fun now and again. Uh, the ones aren't too bad. We had a party here last Saturday night from Mrs. Buckley. She's an old patient here. Fell here and broke a leg and was away in hospital for a while. She's, she's 93 or 4. And she gave a party last Saturday night and there was wine and tea and biscuits and cake and chocolates and then they'll sing whoever can sing and they get up and try to dance, try to dance, how do you call it, walk round. But they make a bit of sport now and again. We don't, we don't feel it out a bit of fun now and again. But the majority of people are here, There's nearly the majority are all over 80, the majority. And they all are tired by that time to go to bed, you know. There's not enough younger folks here. They're all very, very old here. And they, well, they make a bit of sport as well as they're able. And then they'll bingo here every Tuesday night. And they go out to bingo in the convent over across the road for another session. Any of them that likes bingo, and it goes to, but we, three of us here go to bed because the lady next to me, she had, Hip two hip operations, and she gets very tired wa walking around all day. And the other lady has polio on her foot, and she likes she can't dance. I can tell you, she likes to go to bed, and I'd be tired enough myself to go to bed. So that sometimes we leave the sport below to the crowd that's able to enjoy it, and we all go to bed. You leave it to the seventy-year-olds, yes, seventy-five-year-olds. Yes, 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 yes. How much yes. does all this cost you, Mrs. Brennan? Now, how much a week? Well, you see. It's all according to what you have. If you've only a pension, they'll assess you in James's hospital, and if you have any other income coming in from any property or any money, they uh, put a bit more on you. That everyone, I, I'd say there's no set price here. Nearly everyone that I know here is up and down prices. I pay £17 a week, and the two ladies here in the room pay the same. And then there are a lot of single rooms. They may be a bit dearer. We don't know about them. Mrs Brennan is one of 40 who live in Ashgrove House off the Navin Road in Dublin. This modern welfare home is one of the many run by the Eastern Health Authority. Nazareth House on the Malahide Road belongs to the Sisters of Nazareth, an order of nuns who specialise in caring for people who are in the autumn of their lives. 
There we met the dynamic sister Matthews from Gort County, Galway, and we discussed with her the attitude of people who come to these homes towards their relatives. Well, all of them, I should say, I suppose, that come in here, come in of their own free will, like their daughters and sons and daughters would have them any time. A great number of them, anyhow, their sons and daughters would have them any time if they wanted to go to them, but they wouldn't go. They prefer the little bit of independence because they can come in and out as they like here and they feel they haven't to be, uh, you know, that they won't be annoyed with grandchildren or anything like that, you know, and that they won't be a bother to their daughters or a bother to their sons, you know, if they get sick or anything. And we keep them here when they become ill, you know, even though we, we don't take in invalids as a rule, but we take them in when they're mobile and then we keep them if they become ill or in any way dependent. Or know. even if they become seriously invalided, you still keep them? Oh, we do, yes. We give them full nursing care here right to the end, you know. Although very few of them think of death at all <laughs> as, a, you know, as at the start when they come in, they don't think of it. They think of it more or less as a kind of cheer nanoga thing, you know, where they're going to live forever. Well, do you find, sisters, sometimes that people who come in here and who are depressed and who have got kind of decrepit, that when they're a while here, they get active and more youthful if one could Well, a lot of them again. improve up an awful lot when they come in here because um, any of them that have been living alone, I find completely alone now and haven't anybody to go into them every day or that, you know, they cook very little for themselves and I think that they improve up an awful lot when they get regular meals here and, you know, that they haven't... The worry about whether they're going to be broken into at night or whether there's anything going to happen to them or anything like that, you know, they haven't any of the worries that... Well, you also take in husbands and wives. Oh, we do, that's right, yes. We, we just have one married couple at the moment, but we've had as many as eight married couples here, but, you know, one or other partner has gone to heaven and that's it. And the only time anyone leaves here is when they die. They stay here forever. And not one doesn't settle down, you know. I wouldn't say they all go out in a coffin like, but um, they, um, you do find the odd one that comes and that are kind of, you know, on the, they've been to more than one home, really, you discover afterwards, you know, and they just keep moving, I think, you know. It's, I suppose they're just not the kind that settle but on the whole we don't have very many that that happens to just an odd one now and again well in general sister do you find out that people of that age can integrate and mingle very well together oh they do very well i think they settle down very well anyhow i think the people that you've been talking to now this afternoon have should you know give you that impression that they've settled down here anyhow you know that they consider it their their home, if you like, you know, they're very concerned about the place and very concerned about giving a good impression of it and all that, you know, to everybody that comes in and to showing it round and showing everybody what they have and what amenities there are here, you know. We find this is a really a wonderful place. You see, the, the sisters have had a long time at this game. They, they've developed a great deal of know-how and They've learned all the rules of uh, of, of the game, and, and the, of course, the the name of the game is is loving care. So really, the people are very very happy here. I wonder if you noticed the 
the big angle that the flowers subtend, the, the floral life subtends in, the, in, in this area. We have flowers every place, all along the corridors. Of course, we have beautiful flower gardens right in the middle of the, the, the square and all around. We have flowers hanging from the walls, climbers and, and hangers. And uh, so you'd be surprised to know that the interest that the, that the people take in them. They come along, you know, dusting the flowers every day and picking away any little withered leaves and, and all that. Of course, if they were left alone, they'd come along with the watering can, but the, <laughs> the mother takes good care that, that they don't. But uh, we also have an aquarium, so people do take a great interest in nature. Then we're developing a little bit of a forest at the back with some beautiful trees. Well, um, what do you miss most now? Well, well, really, uh, really, I don't miss anything. The fact is that the only thing that's lacking here is time, somehow. You mean you haven't yeah. got enough time well, in the day? We haven't got enough time. You see, of course, the velocity of time is really relative to, 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 to a person's age. But here, apart from the fact that old people find the time going fast, here it seems to go doubly fast. Uh, a pal will come along and say, I have a lovely article here now, I'd love you to read this, you see. And you, you take the book and you, you the, the paper, you simply haven't got the time to read it. You see, even though we, we, we've got the time in the world, we, we still haven't enough time to carry out all the, or to develop all our interests. So that, on the whole, life is passing very pleasantly. Then there's a great spirit of camaraderie and bonhomie among the, among the people. Some of us uh, wobbling around on sticks will find that it's a great thing to, to be able to call on some of those people that are s still mobile to go out for a packet of cigarettes or a box of matches. Or you find they're very, very willing to help each other. So that there's a really a grand spirit in the place. Well, would it be fair to ask you, Shosha, what age you are now? Well, uh, I'm just coming on to 90 now. Uh, of course, there's no respect for anybody here until you come into the 90s. Uh, if, you're, if you're 70, well, you're only a chicken, and at 80, you're beginning to grow up. But at 90, they're beginning to take notice of you. And, of course, we, we have a, a centenarian, a poor old Mary. Mary Black is a centenarian, and then we have several people, 95, and quite a number of, of people just going on to 90 and past the 90s. Why did you come in to live in Nazareth House? In uh, 1974. And uh, why did you come in here? Well, uh, my, I, my, I sold my house. And I'd know it. I went to my sister, and then she was in bad health. So I decided then that I would look for a place, and I was taken in here in 1974 into Nazareth House. Well, your life goes back a, way, uh, a long way, Tom. In fact, it goes back 92 years, isn't that right? 90, uh, 92 years, uh, nearly 92 years. 91 and a half years, to be exact. Now, you came in from Duleek. No, Dublin, I came in from from Dooley yeah. in uh, in uh, eighteen eighty eight or something like that. Just only f it was only four years of age when I came in from Dooley. My parents came in. 
and after that, and I was in, in, I'm in Dublin then all the remainder of my, my time. Well, now tell me about the great years. Uh, in, uh, well, in, 19, in 1907, I was in the, uh, in the Grand Canal Company, and the first strike under the auspices of the Irish National Dock Labourers took place in 1907. With Jim Larkin, he was the first. This was the first strike to take place here. It was called the Carthus Strike, and uh, that strike was settled by the intervention of the Sir James Doherty, the Under Secretary of of of, of the State, and uh, not a single person was victimised as a result of that strike. Now, what was it like in the GPO during the Rising? In the GPO, we're. Uh, I w when in the GPO I was sent over with under uh, Sean McGarry to the uh, Reese's. Reese's was a, a house, uh, a jeweler shop there, and I was sent over there for the purpose of erecting a wireless. You know, over the, the wireless was there, but it was dismantled on account of the war, the 1940s, the war. And after the. Uh, uh, we are, uh, uh, the river, th there was, there was the, uh, messages, I believe, were sent out, but whether they were ever uh, intercepted or not, I don't, I don't know. But after that, then, we came back from, the, from that, back ac across the, to the GPO, and were sent back again to, the, uh, to Abbey Street under Tom Ennis. Tom Ennis was in charge of us then. And it was beside. We took up a, 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 a position in the bank there, facing the uh, facing the recess. And I was st st stationed there when beside Tom, uh, Captain Tom Clark, or Captain Tom uh, Tom Weaver. He was shot beside me, and he, of course we could do the uh, first aid people were brought up, but they could do nothing with him. So he remained, he was burned there. All that place was burned down. So we had to cross again. When that place was burned down, we crossed again to the post office and the machine gun fire. Thirteen of us, including Arthur Shields of the Abbey Theatre and a few others. Thirteen of us, we all escaped out there. And then we're, after that, then we surrendered in, in, uh, in Moore Street. And from Moor Street then, we were brought out and that had ground our arms now, honestly. We spent the night, we spent that night, that this night of the surrender, in the, in the uh, plot at the uh, Rotunda. We marched on Sunday morning then to, went to, uh, to the barracks to, uh, what do you call it? Vickers Bush? No, the, the back of, uh, uh, from that then we were, we were brought on Sunday morning uh, down the Keys and were transported to uh, to England. But Tom, did you do much shooting during Easter week? No, there was very little, no, no shooting to speak about. Because we, we fired a few shots but we didn't, couldn't, couldn't see nothing. Homes for the elderly are places where many stories of glorious days are swapped, told and retold. 
and the mental agility of many 80 and 90 year olds can be quite amazing. And indeed, one begins to wonder, what is old age anyway? Dr. Fleetwood? Age per se is no measure of physical or mental ability. Uh, I've seen an old lady of 98 have an operation for cataracts. And everybody said the ophthalmologist was mad. But that lady lived for four more years. And she could read reasonably big, clear print. I think that operation was well worthwhile. I've seen an old gentleman of 90-plus who broke a leg, have the leg pinned. And he was able then to get around. Okay, he was on a walking aid. But he wasn't in bed getting bed sores and demanding maybe two nurses to turn him. It was well worthwhile taking the gamble. I've seen an old lady opened. Everybody thought she was malignant and that the surgeon was mad. In fact, she had a very tiny adhesion, which she relieved in about ten minutes, and she was back and she lived another eight years. So age is no criterion of ability. Now, I'm always talking about this in pre-retirement lectures. You have to retire at 65, 95, 45, some arbitrary age. But that only measures how long you've lived. You could be senile at 40. I know people who are elderly in their 40s. Ah, no, Joan and I never go out to a dance. Ah, no, wouldn't dream of going even down the country for a holiday. <gasps> no, no, we never go out to the, to the local. Those are old people. But I know men of 80 who dive into the winter 40 foot. Men, I'm stressing now, not women. And then walk home a couple of miles and have a good lunch and probably a few jars. Those are not old men, except chronologically. We've got to get away from this idea that because you've lived X years, therefore you are or are not fit to do a job, to enjoy yourself, to anything. I often hear them saying, among ourselves when we're speaking, sure nobody wants you when you're old, you're only in the way. You're not, you're, you're not able for the present rate of living. You were brought up more of a quite so, there was no, not this bustling rush for life and money and wealth and amusement and that there is today. And you just, if you live out among that, you just feel as unwanted and that no one wants you when you're old. Oh, I've often heard them saying, repeating that, sure, who wants you? You're dumped in here, no one wants you. That's what you're told. But then there are a lot that their children would have them, but they wouldn't live with their children. They wouldn't live the life their children is living, that hectic rush of a life. They'd be just as lonely because they wouldn't impede the rush that's in the world of present day discos and dances and rushing here and there and holidays and abroad and everything else. It wasn't in our time. And they wouldn't cope with that. And they wouldn't stand in the light of their children. They said they had their day and their youth when the habits were a different sort of amusement to what is today. And that they couldn't impede on their children's life. They made their own life and let the children make their own. In fact, there's plenty here that our people would want them to live with them that wouldn't stay with them. Like a roller in the
The Little Sisters of the Poor run five homes for the elderly in Ireland, and their newest one, the Sacred Heart Home in Sybil Hill in Dublin, is supervised by the gentle Mother Helen. And she told us how the nuns finance such a large home that houses over 200 people. Well, mainly from part payment of the old people's pensions. And uh, two sisters go out collecting. People are very, very good to us. And donations, legacies, the people leave us. That's mainly how we do it, really. Well, you've and always got some sisters around uh, collecting. Two every day. Yeah. Go to different districts. But uh, would they collect a lot of money? I mean, it wouldn't go very far in the upkeep of a, an undertaking like this home. Well, as they say, pennies make sh- shillings and shillings make pounds. So well, is it part of the yeah? Is it part of the rule, mother, that sisters yes, go collecting? Yes, it's part of our apostolate. Actually, that is mainly why we go collecting, because we find that we meet people, people who perhaps would never see religious if they didn't see us going into their homes, and very often we can. You know, people like you to listen to their problems and ask our prayers. So we'll pray for them. Our sister, our mother, how do you col- um, decide now what people to take in here? Obviously, you get a tremendous amount of applications. Yes, for those who are most in need, people mainly who have just got their old age pension. Some people may have been well off years gone by, but their money has run out, then we take them in and care for them. And have you got a very long waiting list? We have a very long, anything from 6 to 18 months. People can be waiting, sometimes more. Well, the average old age pension wouldn't amount to more than, what, 18 or 20 pounds? Well, no, it's 20, 24, 50 now, I think, actually, to yeah. be correct. So we take four-fifths of that. And one-fifth in is... One-fifth is given back to the residents. Yeah. Well, that means then you well you don't have any more than about twenty pounds per That's per right, person. Yes. But it must and be very difficult, mother, to upkeep a person for twenty pounds. Um, yes, well, we count really on providence and people's generosity, and really we've never been let down yet. And then the building itself, uh, who financed that? Mostly the people of Dublin. The sisters went out collecting. They stood on the streets for, I think, quite a few years. I wasn't here then, but um, it was mostly the Dublin people who financed it. I, th- I think that we did get a grant from the government as well, but of course that didn't go anywhere near financing it. You know. Well, do the people here then receive any help from the health board, say from the Eastern Health Board? Um, there are a small number whose pension for one reason or another it doesn't come up to what it costs us to keep them and they make up um, I think it's eight pounds per person there's about 60 people that do that for out of the 200 these people must be living must have come from the Dublin area uh, Mother are there any problems here well any problems that are unsurmountable or is it all run very smoothly it goes quite smoothly actually we, you know, we take each day as it comes and its problems. And how many sisters are with you? Uh, we are 21 in the community. And then you have lay help as uh, well? Lay help and quite a number of voluntary help. Young girls and girl, people not so young, elderly men, businessmen, who um, 
come in in the evenings to help us after their work. To tell you the truth, I miss the few drinks and the chats with the boys at night. Although I could, I can still go there. But then uh, the sisters are worried about you. They don't know you're out having a few drinks. Some of them will stay up until they see you safely in. So that stops you from going out. Well, it wouldn't do to come home half jarred. No, no, no. I did that a few times and they were very nice about it, but they're always afraid you'll fall or something happened to you. You'll cut your head or something, your glasses, you go into your eye. You never know what they might think. So I think the best thing is wait on some of my sons. They likes me and brings me out, have a few jars and they bring me back safe. And then I've no worries. Ending one's days in a home for the elderly holds no qualms, no fears for people like Mrs. Brennan, who claims to have been cured of serious illness in her younger days by the touch of the famous Jesuit priest, Father John Sullivan. They never speak of death. They never seem, no. Oh, every morning you get up, you meet them more, and how are you, Mrs. So-and-so, and how are you, so-and-so, or the same as I was yesterday, they'll say to me or something else. No, I never heard them saying now that uh, the time is up or they might soon die or anything. No, I haven't heard any of them speak of death since I came here. I haven't heard any of them speak of death. And do you think of death yourself? Oh, well, I do. I think I know that I must go soon, and no matter what turn I get, I always think, well, this is the last. I'll be gone this time. No, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not a bit afraid of death. I'm not a bit afraid to die. No, if you have, as I always say, well, you believe in God or you don't believe there's a God at all. That's only the two ways. Because God couldn't be a liar. And the signs and proof he has given us of another world, of heaven. And if you keep his commandments, that and receive the sacraments, so he'll raise you up on the last day and that you'll be in heaven for eternity and all that. Yeah, you don't have to believe that or believe nothing. Because you can't believe one thing Christ said and don't believe the other thing he said. You have to accept all. That's the way I look at it. I'm not a bit afraid to die. Something good.